well, somebody stole my water that I paid 80 cents for. Go figure. <laughs> Thank you, sir. Well, most of you know my name's Justin Bashirs. And uh, as outgoing as I am, I am nervous every time I step on the stage. And I think it's because somebody prayed over me after I told them that one time. They said, I pray you never lose that nervousness. Thanks for that. Appreciate that. Um, let's pray before we get started. Father, we thank you for this day that you've given us. Father, we thank you for this time, uh, for this place. Father, for this season that we're in. God, I thank you for the uh, opportunity to share your love and your goodness and your grace in my life, Father God. And I pray that I would use your word properly and correctly tonight, Father God, that your word would reach hearts tonight, that we would not leave this place the same way we walked in, Father. Pray that everyone here would have an encounter with you. In Christ's name we pray, amen and amen. Okay, can, do you have that, that picture? Yeah, can you put that up? Does everybody know what these are? Stars. It's not like a hyper-spiritual question. This is, this is trees and stars. But the cool thing about this is I was preparing and getting ready. God showed, he kept bringing these stars to my mind. And um, some of you scientific, uh, I don't want to say nerds. It's probably not appropriate. But <laughs> some of you nerds may know what light years attributes to. But I just think that it's how far tri light travels in a year. Is that correct? It takes, so one light year means it, it took a year for that light to get this distance. Is that, is that correct? Well, the closest star to us is the sun, but beyond that, the closest one is 4.5 light years away. So if my math is correct, the light we see on the closest star took four and a half years to get here. Is that, is that, is that an accurate statement? So what we look at today is something that has already happened. So what you're seeing here today is something that's it's already happened. Some things have already happened in my life, and you're just getting to see the light now. A lot of it was darkness out there. You couldn't see me because it wasn't like, uh, we, we got a lot of city lights around here, so we don't get a lot of stars. But if you go out into the, to the rural areas, the stars seem to be brighter. Each one of you are a star. Each, each one of you is a representation, a light carrier. And all we see is the light now, but we don't know how far it had to come we don't know how far that light had to travel we just see this dot and this dot and this dot and this dot and they all look to be the same distance away we don't know how far it took for certain stars to get here so I'll bring you up to speed on my life last last time when I shared I shared a lot of my testimony because I didn't know we was going to do a part two so I'm like if I'm going to be up here you're going to get everything I've got right now so here we are again, and I was telling God, well, I've already shared most of my testimonies. No, you haven't. You think that you've just got this, and this is, this is who you are, and this is what you're going to share? Because my testimony has grown from the last time I was up here. You know, and I've, I've been this, and I've been that, and, you know, I was, I was incarcerated. I was addicted to drugs. Um, I was cast out pretty much by society, like just quit on. Has anybody ever been quit on? I said, no, it's never going to make it. Well, that's one of the worst feelings when people lose hope in you. You know, and a lot of times I sit and wonder, how did I, how did I get here? And so I just want to start off by 
sharing a story with you guys. I was in a program uh, called Renew Life Ministries. It's a one-year discipleship program for men who struggle with life-controlling problems. And I say life-controlling problems. That's not a, a sugar-coated way to say that we have drug addictions because <laughs> drugs and alcohol is never your problem. That's a symptom. Yo, you got a runny nose. Well, your runny nose is not your problem. There's something else deeper going on. And until you get to those roots and still you start figuring those things out, you're always going to have a runny nose. Does that, does that make sense? And uh, I've actually got my brothers from Renewed Life Ministries here in the house today, so say what's up to them on the way out. Um, so I was in this program, and uh, the director saw that I was actually trying for once to make a change in my life. And he said, man, i got an awesome thing for you, man. I want to send you to Six Flags. And I was like, man, that's fantastic. But the group of people he sent me with was the weirdest bunch of people. I'm, I'm not just saying that. I mean, these people were weird, right? And so I go, we, we leave at midnight to go to Atlanta. And I'm thinking to myself, Six Flags don't open that early. I don't know why we're leaving in the middle of the night. So we get down there, and it's like 6 o'clock in the morning. And then they take us to this hotel and there's, there's this banquet going on, and, and they're like, they're all talking about this guy, Reinhard Bonnke, Reinhard Bonnke. We're going to go, we're going to go see Reinhard Bonnke. And I'm like, who's Reinhard Bonnke? I have a clue who that is. Well, if, if you don't know who Reinhard Bonnke is, Reinhard Bonnke is an evangelist, and he evangelizes in, uh, mainly in Nigeria. And if you've, never, if you've never seen a million and a half people in a field with street lights set up, and all the guy's doing is proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. I mean, there's no concert, there's no giveaways. The man is out there proclaiming the word to about 2 million people. I'm not exaggerating. Go look it up on YouTube. Just type in Reinhard Bonnke. I don't know how to spell it, so you're on your own. Uh, so they started saying, we're going to go see Reinhard Bonnke. And I'm like, okay. And we get in there, and... Um, you know, people are coming up, and I find out that it's a fundraiser breakfast, and, you know, they're asking for donations and things like that. But he starts telling this story, and he said before he started doing crusades and leading millions of people uh, to Christ, he, uh, him and his father lived in England. And uh, he used to, one of his favorite things to do was get on the, I don't know what you call them, those big red double-decker buses. I don't know what they're called, but you would get on those. He would get on those, and he would ride one around the city, and then he'd get off, and he'd ride it, get on another one and ride it, and just, he would just get on and off these buses and just ride around looking at the city. And uh, he got off the bus that one afternoon, and he saw this nameplate on, on the fence. I guess they have nameplates on the, where their mailbox would be. And you know, a thought occurred to him, I wonder if this is the so-and-so that brought the gospel to Great Britain. He said he felt the Holy Spirit say, well, you're not doing anything else. Why don't you go up there and knock on the door and see? So he goes up. He says he goes up to the door, and he knocks, and, and the, the, the maid opens the door, and he says, hey, is this the so-and-so? And she said, yes, it is, and slams the door. And he could hear the old man in the back going, wait, 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 wait. And so the man, old man comes to the door and opens the door up and invites him in, right? And they go, and they sit down, and they talk for about 20 minutes or so, and he's getting ready to leave. And then the old man um, falls to his knees. And drags Reinhard Bonnke down with him and lays his hands on him and prays for him. And so he gets up and leaves and walks out the driveway and he's standing there and he said, you know, how did I even end up here? How did, how did, how did I even get here? And now this guy's praying for me. I don't even know how I ended up here. So he goes back home, tells his father about it. Two days later, the guy dies. 
And so it occurs to Reinhardt that what he was doing was passing on his mantle to him. That God had orchestrated all of that. Him just randomly getting on buses and traveling around the city. And just so happened he stops in front of the house of the man that was one of the original missionaries that, to really bring the crusade and start a movement of bringing the gospel to Great Britain. God, I wish I could remember his name. And then the man passes his mantle on to him. And Reinhardt goes on to start leading millions and millions and millions of Africans to Christ. And as he's telling me this, I'm, again, I'm with this group of weirdos and, and just these tears are pouring down my face. Because I didn't know how I got there. You know, I thought my addiction had took me so far away from people. It had isolated everybody in my family. I'd stole from my parents. I'd stole from my siblings. I'd lied. I'd cheated. I didn't have, when I was sitting in that seat down there in Atlanta, I didn't have a dollar in my pocket. I didn't have a beautiful wife. To go home to. I didn't have any kids. I didn't have a job. I barely had five months clean. I didn't have anything by the world standard. And in that moment, I felt freer than I've ever been because it all made sense. That all the hurts, that all the pains, that all the getting on this bus and then getting on this bus, it actually led somewhere. He was leading me somewhere and it meant something to me. That it wasn't just some random sequence of events that, that I hadn't fallen too far that the God of the universe had, had misplaced me. Does that make sense? So your testimony, it changes. It grows. At that point, where he was at, that was a powerful spot for me. But since then, my testimony has changed. My testimony has grown. I've messed up. I've told lies. I've done everything I can to ruin my testimony so to speak. So how do we embrace the point in our testimony where we're at right now? How do we, how do we say, if it's not just random, if God really is working things out, then how do I embrace where I'm at right here? You know, Paul said over in the New Testament, he said, having done all to stand, stand. He's not talking about gaining ground he didn't say nothing about building churches. He said, stand. You see, sometimes the warfare is going to be so intense in your life that it's going to take all you can do just to stand. It, took, it was all my mother could do just to be able to stand and say, I'm here. I, I don't feel like I'm getting anywhere. But it is a testimony to be able to look at somebody and say, I'm still standing. I'm tore up and I smell like smoke but I'm still standing by God <laughs> so as I'm preparing and God showing me these things he, he brought me back to the story of Joseph can you put that first scripture up there for me and this is what he started showing me let me get my scriptures out for you guys Genesis 37 4-5 says his when their brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. I wish I had time. We'd stop right there. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. Anybody ever been in that situation? You're hated for being loved. Yay. 
and then you share your dream with somebody, and they hate you more. These are his brothers, man. These were his, these were his blood brothers. I mean, they were half-brothers, but they were still his brothers. Joseph was loved dearly by his father, and in turn, he was hated for it. He shared his dreams with those that didn't care and really didn't need to hear it. His words is what they did not want to hear. His actions is what made them hate him. Sometimes you'll share your testimony with people. And they can't dispute the fact that God is moving in your life. A lot of people try to will want to argue scriptures. I had a guy message me on YouTube out of the blue yesterday and said that he has of 66 videos on anti-tithing and wanted to know if I'd be willing to debate him. I'm serious. I can't make this up. And so my response was, if, why does it take 66 videos to get your point across about why we should not tithe? And even more so, if you've already got 66 videos, how am I going to sway your opinion? What are we going to do? Are we going to argue? Are we going to debate this fact? I said, but what, what I'd rather do is just tell you about the love of Christ. Because you've already set in your heart. Like Dave said, you know, the scripture talks about an offering that uh, let each give what he is determined in his heart to give. See, a lot of times we've already determined in our heart. And a lot of times, a lot of people have already determined in their heart what they think about you. What they think about me. Genesis 37, 20 through 24, and then 29. This is what they said. They hated him for it. And they said, come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns. And say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. When Reuben heard this, he tried to rescue him from their hands. Let's not take his life, he said. Don't shed any blood. Throw him into this cistern here in the desert. But don't lay a hand on him. Reuben said this to rescue him from them and take him back to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the richly ornamented robe he was wearing, the one his father gave him. And they took him and threw him into the cistern. Now the cistern was empty. There was no water in it. When Reuben returned to the cistern and saw that Joseph was not there, he tore his clothes. So they wanted to kill him. Reuben said, let's not kill him. Let's throw him in this, let's throw him in this cistern. And then he was going to come back to the pit where they left him and rescue him. I don't think it's a coincidence that they said the cistern was empty. There's no water in it. Has anybody ever been in a dry place? In a dry season? See, in my life, after, after I had changed... After I had given my life to Christ, after the, after the addiction, after the jail time, after the I'm enough, is enough, is enough, is enough. People still expected me to be in the pit where they left me at. Because the last time they saw me, I was in a pit. I had a probation officer that when I started at the program, he called and said, Hey, I'm going to go ahead and fill this warrant out. And when he messes up, you let me know, and I'll go ahead and issue it, because he's not going to make it. He never has. He never will. 
See, he expected me to be in that same pit where I was the last time he saw me. Two and a half years later, the same guy invited me to work at a Promise Keepers conference with him in Nashville. Same guy. What changed? Was it me? Did I shake myself loose from my chains? Did I, did I break the chains of addiction in my life? I found myself in a dry place. A lot of us would say, well, I got saved and now I'm, I'm in a dark place. What am I going to do? Am I gonna, I'm going to shake myself loose. I'm going to dig myself out. Do you think Joseph was clawing and trying to dig himself at the pit? I don't know. We can speculate whether he was or whether he wasn't. But what are you going to do? Are you going to shake yourself loose? No, you're not. You can't make yourself have a good marriage. You can't be a good husband. You can't do any of it on your own. Apart from Christ, we can do nothing. Even more so when everybody around you expects you to still be in that pit where you was at the last time they saw you. So what do you do? Joseph, if you've read the story, I encourage you, if you've never read the story, please go back and do. Because Joseph was rescued, and I, I say rescued because it was his grandfather's enemies that pulled him out of the pit and sold him into slavery. I guess you'd call that deliverance. But how many times do you... Th and I, This is speculation, okay? Do you think Joseph was telling everybody his testimony of how he'd been delivered out of that pit because now he's in slavery? Moving on into the prison. How many people in prison do you think he told about the deliverance in the pit or about being sold into slavery and then being lied on and accused in Potiphar's house? Just follow me. I'm going somewhere with this. Sometimes we have to learn to slow down our tongues. See, I'm up here sharing my testimony, but this is not my testimony. My testimony is not the laundry list of things that I've done, and then Jesus pulling me out of my darkness, and then now I'm living this incredible life filled with power and the Holy Ghost moving and witnessing to people, and I'm laying hands on people. That's not my testimony. It's not. Sound precedes your words. The sound precedes your words. It comes forth before. I, it, it's, it's a millisecond. It's a fraction of a second before. But the sound comes out and then your words come out. Put that scripture up there about Joseph, if, I mean Joshua, if you would, please. The Lord showed this to me as I was studying again. He brought me to the story where Joshua, Joshua and the Israelites are about to take Jericho. And they're probably riled up. They're ready to go. They're ready to fight. They're ready to move in to this promised land and start taking what's theirs. And this is what Joshua says. But Joshua had commanded the people, do not give a war cry. Do not raise your voices. Do not say a word until the day that I tell you to shout. Then shout. So his command to them, the whole army, shut up. Don't say nothing. Stop talking. Don't say anything. And if you know the story, it was dependent 
on them being obedient to that command. That command, I can't get three of my friends to stop talking long enough for us to just be quiet together. I can't stop talking long enough. That's probably a more accurate statement. And so he tells, he tells, he tells Joshua, command the people, don't say nothing. And he says, don't say nothing because I'm trying to do something here. I don't know how, how differently it would have went. If they'd have been talking and jawing the whole time. But you know how it is? Have you ever been in a room where like two people are talking and then three or four people come in and then they start talking? And so it's a little bit louder. So you got to get a little bit louder. And then there's more people over here. And there's like pockets of people talking. And before you know it, everybody's talking like this. They're like, man, I can't believe what you... And it's just really loud. Now, can you imagine that? Like a million people So it's no coincidence God said, be quiet, don't say nothing. The sound preceded their shout. The sound of them marching, the sound of them moving, the sound of them taking ground. Marching and marching and marching and marching around that city. And many of us, myself included... I'm so ready to do the shouting and telling everybody about, look at my life, look at what's happened to me. And God says, I just want you to march right now. I just want you to march. Barbie's right, I'm, I'm kicking at the gate. I'm ready to go, I'm ready to run, I'm ready to, I'm ready to speak, I'm ready to be up here. And God says, I just want you to march right now. Because I'm doing something. I want you to walk this out. Every single day. You want a testimony? Get up and do it again. Your testimony wasn't, I'm, I used to be a drug addict and now I'm not. He said, get up and do it again. Get up and do it again, Justin. Get up and do it again. Keep marching. Keep marching. When I tell you to shout, then shout. This is not my time to shout right now. shouting came at an appointed time and what he's trying to show me through all of this he's showing me about Joseph's story you know and a lot of that I can't I can't say for certain whether he was telling people about his experience in the pit or whether he was uh, telling the guys in jail about Potiphar's wife and about his deliverance I don't know because the Bible doesn't tell me so I can't I can't say he didn't or I can't say he did at that moment and in that season. And then God's showing me about this in Joshua where he says, I just want you to march. So then he brings me to this passage in Acts. Acts 1.8. And it says, but, but. So when you see the word but, you need to go back and read before that because you need to get the whole picture. Because you can't just make the word of God fit into your life. And to fit into your testimony, so to speak. And it says, but you will receive power when the Holy Ghost comes on you. And you will go around witnessing in Jerusalem. And telling people in Judea and Samaria and the ends of the world about me. So what that says is, it says, when the Holy Ghost comes upon you, you will be my witness. 
You will be my witness. And this is what the Lord has been trying to hammer home with me. Justin, I don't need, I don't need you to tell people about me. I don't need you to share your war stories. I need you to be my witness. If we all go to a cave, I don't know where a cave's at around here, but if we all got up and we loaded up in the back of my pickup truck and we all went into a cave and it's completely dark in there and I light a match, do I have to wave it around and say, look, this is a match, y'all. This is a match. No, what do I do? I just hold it up and let it do what it does. I just, it, it just illuminates. It doesn't have to tell the darkness, I'm a match. Get thee behind me, Satan. Oh, but that's what we do. That's what I do. No weapon. For, I mean, I'm, I'm declaring these promises while I'm marching. He's like, just march. I'll give you power to be my witness. You'll be my witness. So he's changing things inside of my heart that it's not all stories. That you'll be able to see it. That my life will be a testimony because I will be able to love you like Jesus loves you. Because when I see a need, I'll be able to jump in. When I'm gone, I don't want you to remember, man, he used to be messed up, and now he's not. I want you to know that I was the witness. I didn't go around witnessing. Although that's a part of it. Don't, don't get crazy with it. But so many of us are caught up. We're caught up in, we're caught up in witnessing. I know a guy that when I got saved, me and him used to run around together when we was in the world, and I'd hang out with him after I got saved. You know, this has only been like, um, I hung out with him a year and a half ago. I've been saved longer than that, trust me. But he would tell me, man, every time you come around me, man, I get convicted of my life. And I didn't even tell him nothing about Jesus. He knows that I'm saved. He knows that I don't do the things I used to do. But yet something was different about me that he felt convicted. To some were the savior of death. To some were the savior of life. He was convicted of sin in his life. And all I did was want to hang out with him. How does that work? And then I know another guy that I work with that you'll ask him, how you doing? He's like, praise God, everything's great, fantastic, Jesus is good, hallelujah, every single day, all day, this is all you hear, all you hear. I got two witnesses in the house that'll be able to tell you, they're like, yeah. You know what, I'm that guy too, man. God bless you, brother. How you doing? Sunday morning, you know, because I'm too prideful to share what's going on in my life. Because now that I've come so far, now that I've been forgiven of so much, now that I've I'm come this far from the pit, I'm scared to tell you that I'm struggling with something. Because if Ken knows that now that I'm saved, I'm walking with the Lord, that I'm struggling with X, Y, and Z, if he knows this, now he's going to think of this way of me. So I'm not going to tell nobody. I'm going to let everybody think that everything's golden in my life. God bless you. Hallelujah. Every morning. And then I become that guy. I'm not being the witness. I'm just witnessing to you. I'm just sending over here saying a bunch of words. I'm telling you a bunch of stories. I'm telling you that I was this. I'm telling you that I was that. And it doesn't mean anything. I get so convicted. 
Because I want to be the witness. Does anybody just want to be the witness? When people know something's different around you. You don't have to say nothing. You walk into the room and the whole atmosphere changes. I know people that walk into the room and it's like a creepy feeling. <laughs> I'm for real like, oh, God. Oh. And you start, you start easing out, you know. Hey, I'm going to catch you all later, man. Don't you want to be the opposite of that? Don't you want to walk into a bar and everybody starts crying? Convicted or something? Not that you should do. Let me just use a different example. Uh, <laughs> don't you just want to walk into the room and the whole atmosphere change? Because the Holy Ghost has come upon you and you have received power to be the witness, to be my witness. Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and then the ends of the earth. If you guys don't know that, you go back and look. That was like locally, regionally, globally. Kurt said it last when he was up, man. He didn't just up and go to Kenya. He was walking it out in Memphis. He was walking it here with us over at Weary. He was being the witness. He didn't have to go tell everybody about the change in his life. And that's what's so hard for me is because I, I, I'm good at talking. I'm good at sharing. I'm good at telling people stories. And they say, oh, wow. But if my life is all messed up behind the scenes, man, it doesn't mean anything. My testimony holds no weight. And we read scriptures like, and they overcame him with the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. You're like, some days my testimony don't mean nothing. Without the blood of the Lamb, it's never going to mean nothing. Some of, you have never, some of you have never strayed. Some of you have always, I guess you'd say, grown up in church or you never had addictions or jail time or, you know, you feel like that, man, I don't have a testimony because... You know, I didn't, I didn't go out into the world and live a crazy life and then come back. And we love the prodigal son stories. But I love the story of Jesus. That looked temptation in the face every day. Said, no. I respect these teenagers down here more than I respect myself. Do you know how much courage it takes to constantly push back the darkness and say, I'm not going to give in, I'm not going to give up, and to keep walking it out, to keep marching around Jericho every single day. I don't have to tell nobody about me marching. I just march. I just do it. But it's not anything I'm doing. I can't get up every day and keep walking this out. I can't, I can't lead these guys. I can't pray with you without the power of the Holy Spirit and without the love of Jesus in my heart and in my life and being the witness every day. Your testimony means nothing if you can't be the witness. I'd rather shut up and be mute for the rest of my life and everybody know that I love Jesus with all my heart because the way I live it. And to get up here and tell you stories about my past and my present and my future and it not mean anything. See, the world has tried to strip me. My family stripped me. It's like Joseph's brother stripped, stripped him. Potiphar's wife stripped him. This world stripped me too. Jobs have stripped me. It'll, it'll strip you if you're not careful. 
But if you read the end of the story, it wasn't until Joseph stripped himself, said, that's who I am. I'm your brother. All that stuff you meant to harm me, God's used it for this moment. All the things, all the buses that I've been on. It's not until I get up here and say, this is all I got. This is all I got. This is all you got. It's all we got. It's the gospel. It's not until I take off my cloak and say, I struggle. I don't want to be prideful. I don't want to be arrogant. I don't want to lie. I don't want to live that way. I want to be the witness. And I can't. Help me. It's not until I do that that you're able to really see him. You know, his brothers was in front of him the whole time and didn't even know it. They didn't even know who he was. What sort of sense does that make? You realize you can be around people and not even know who they are? You can be around me and not even know who I am if I want to hide it. But when he stripped himself and revealed himself, imagine that aha moment that his brothers had. Ah, oh. We're in trouble now. <laughs> We're not going to eat. <laughs> but it wasn't to the end of the story. It wasn't to the end of that story. At the end of his life that he declared that all the things he endured were so that God could be glorified in that moment and his family be saved. All the things I've been through, all the things you've been through, they may not be for right now. Brad said it last week, and I'm so mad at him that he did. I was going to say it this week, but... You have not arrived. You have, your testimony is not over. Because plenty of us have been just doing the talking. And not been so good at doing the being. So maybe I'll just speak for myself. I've got to expose myself. I have to rid myself of all the pride and everything. Do you know that for an olive to be used into oil, it has to go through three stages? Does anybody know that? These are great, awesome stages, too. It has to be beaten, shaken, and pressed. Hmm. Anybody down for that? But... Then it can be used as oil. But not until it's beaten, it's shaken, and pressed. I don't know what all that does. I should have researched that process a little deeper, but it does something to the olive. It does something. It changes it. Changes the, the composition. Gets it gets it ready to be used. So all the, the beating and the shaking and the pressing is just getting you ready to be used. To be used. To be the witness. And I know it's kind of ironic because I'm telling you about being a witness. Is it weird? Our testimonies change lives. Ours and the lives around us. How many people, how many people do you think were impacted during Joseph's trials? I mean, we'll never know. 
How many people that are impacted that are not mentioned in the story? You know, Joseph probably had a cellmate. I had a cellmate. And I know his life was impacted by mine. Joseph learned to embrace everywhere he was at. And in my life, that's what I want to do. You know, Joseph was second in command pretty much his whole life. His dad loved him the most. We read that earlier. So that pretty much tells me that in his father's eyes, he was second. And then he was sold into slavery at Potiphar's house. He was second in command at Potiphar's house. And then he goes to prison. And then he was second in command over the prison. And then he gets out of prison. And he's in Pharaoh's house. And he's second in command over all of Egypt. It's a coincidence, right? Somebody would be second in command their whole life. In some terrible situations. In a pit. Being a slave. In prison. How do we bloom where we're planted, man? You know, where are you at in the story? Some of us are in the pit. Can I get the worship team? See, I've been in the pit. I'm still in it from time to time. And what are you going to do about it when you find yourself in that pit? Are you going to shake yourself free? Stop. No, you won't. No, I didn't. I still can't. My testimony is not one of struggle and then grace and then a fantastic life behind that. Although that's a lot of what happened. My testimony is one of day to day. You know, I see a guy that at the BP or something. Before you know it, we're praying in the checkout line. You know? Or a guy that I work with comes in and sees me reading my Bible. Says, hey man, I didn't mean to interrupt you. And you say, no, it's cool, bro. Come on, let's talk about something. What do you want to talk about? You know? That's what you got. That's what I got. That's our testimony. Our testimony is not just the things we've been through and the things God has brought us out of. What a God that... that loves me so audaciously that he would let me do everything I can to ruin my life. That would allow things that hurt me and in turn hurt him so that he could heal me. What a God. It would send Jesus up to that platform with Pilate and let, and let the people say, who do you want, Jesus or Barabbas? And they said, well, give us Barabbas. Well, that's who we want. I'm Barabbas. They let him, he let my chains go, and I didn't even turn around and say thank you. You know? What a God that loves us that much. Say, no. Treat me like him so that you can treat him like you would for me. And when you get that down in your life, it changes everything. Not just your past. Not just your struggles. It changes right now. Changes the whole atmosphere. You receive that power. You be the witness. You hold the match up. And you don't have to wave it around. There's a time to share your story, beloved. And it's powerful. And it means something. 
But don't miss being the witness. Just be the witness. Amen? Would you stand with me? You don't have to come down front. You don't have to go in the back. You just stay right where you are. Close your eyes. Talk to your father. Tell him, thank you for loving me so crazily, so bountifully. Thank you for giving me the privilege to be your witness that you would think enough of me to die for me, to change me, to steer my life, to allow me to go through the hurts, the pains, the sorrow, the joy, so that you could show me at the end when I strip everything away and I reveal myself to the world and say, this is who I am. I'll know that it was all so that you could be glorified. Because it's all for Him. Your testimony's not about you. It's not about me. It's all about Him. How does He receive glory in the things we share? How does He receive glory in the way that I walk? How is His name lifted up in the people that I come into contact with on a daily basis? How do we just be? Let's worship. When all is said and done And everyone is gone Lord, you're really all I want When the best this world has Leaves me feeling numb
Father, we thank you that you are here with us. And Lord, we ask that you would give us the power to be your witness, Father. That you would invade our lives, that you would invade our marriages, that you would invade the relationships with our children, Father. We cannot do this, God. We cannot be your witnesses. We cannot do this. We need you, Lord. Father, we ask that as we leave this place, that you would invade every, every area of our life that is not of you. That we would put our hearts and our trust completely in you, Father. That you would be glorified in our lives. That you would be the center. That you would be the focus. And that everything else would just fall where it may. We ask that you would keep us safe as we leave this building tonight, Father. We thank you for the time that you have given us together. We thank you for your love. In Christ's name we pray.